Hello and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast. And uh, before you even raise an eyebrow, I know it's Wednesday, but uh, we, we are going to be recording from Mondays. I know I said that to you last week, but we wanted to make sure we got all of the rip-roaring Nations League action included in this week's pod. So we decided to delay until today. So now that little... Uh, that little egg is removed from the shelf. Let's move on to my guests, Phil and Jess. Good evening to you both. Good evening. Hello. Uh, and it very much is evening in the UK. It is pitch black. It's This time of year is so blooming miserable. Anyway, mm. bar humbug. Um, right, I trust that the pod finds you both well. So uh, we shall get into... There's plenty of talk around the national team this week for obvious reasons. We will preview the, the weekend's return of Liga at the end of the pod as well. So let's start with the main national team or for the, the men's full national team, if you will. They went into the line of fiction sort of pretty much knowing what they needed to do. Uh, Jez, they, they did it. Um, it was a fairly sort of is routine the right way of putting it? I don't know. The performance against Portugal I thought was very good. Um, thoroughly sort of merited their, their 1-0 victory in that particular game. And then we saw the, the game against Sweden, which was 4-2. Um, a little bit nuts based upon sort of what I've read up on um, in that I probably didn't expect that to be a six-goal game. Having watched Sweden for a number of years, they very rarely score two goals in three games, let alone two goals in one game. Um, what was your sort of overriding viewpoint on these two games? We'll combine the two and then break them off into individuals in a moment. Yeah, I mean, after, obviously, there was the first match, which was the, the Finland match, which was... Oh, of course, the friendly as well, yeah. I, I was trying yeah. to forget that, if I'm honest. But <laughs> I mean, that, that one was pretty awful all round. But you could say there's, there's quite a few mitigating circumstances. It wasn't... Um, the first team in yeah. a few cases it wasn't even the second team mm. on the other hand it wasn't Finland's first team either by all accounts so it was pretty disappointing but that kind of you can use as an excuse well you know this is the kind of match that's particularly unnecessary in in a year where we're trying to cram everything together and players are knackered and they have to for their own safety sort of pick and choose their game so they're not going to raise themselves for a match like that um but still i think probably Deschamps took a little bit out of it i think you know you can look at for example marcus turam who certainly sort of gained ground uh, browning points with his, with his was that his debut or was that yeah. his debut start at least debut no, it's both yeah mm. um so he looked quite bright. And then on the other hand, you've got, I guess, players like Longley, who um, probably um, kind of stuffed up once and for all his chances of, of sort of being the starting left-sided centre-back with a, with a relatively poor performance. And then you've got like Pogba and Giroud, who, who were also not great. I thought Giroud was slightly overly criticised because he is a centre-forward. He does need service. And when the other nine outfield players are eight, nine, uh, pretty poor, then there's not much he can do. But anyway, that yeah, they, they weren't great. And it sort of was a concern based, you know, based on, on how their season's been going domestically so far. But then, yeah, the, ne the next two matches, and, and obviously Portugal in particular, Sweden's a little bit different because the pressure's off by then. But the Portugal match, which you have to say is probably the, on paper, France's biggest challenge since the World Cup. 
against the, the European champions away from home for what it's worth when, when there's no fans, um, you know, who'd got the nil-nil draw in France, um, playing for first place in, in, in the group um, with players like Pogba, Varane, Griezmann out of form. I think it was a real test and I thought France was superb and, and 1-0 was actually very flattering. Although the last 15 minutes France sat back a bit and, and Portugal um, sort of came close a couple of times, I think ge generally it was um, probably a flattering result for Portugal, if anything. And, and you know, if, if Martial had had... I was going to say if Martial had a shooting boost or maybe if Patricio hadn't been quite as good as well, um, it, it could have been a, a bigger margin of victory. And, and yeah, I think it was really impressive. It was fantastic to see those players who have been struggling raise their game. And, um, you know, hopefully it bodes well for next year, but certainly for, um, you know, for, for the test that they face this week and for what it means in terms of Nations League, again, for what it's worth. And actually, it does even have implications for the next World Cup qualifying campaign, if it went particularly badly for France. The fact that they've topped their group means that they've got a sort of get-out-of-jail-free card. If they, if they really stuff up their qualifying, they're at least guaranteed a playoff place now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, although it started badly with Finland, it actually turned into a, a really positive international break for... Yeah. I think that the team as a whole, but certainly a few specific players, which we can sort of go into. But uh, yeah, overall, very positive. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and for what Jess said there about the results, I mean, as I said, I, I tried to put the Finland game to the back of my mind um, for obvious reasons. But yeah, the, the one thing I would say that came out of that, sort of on the negative, is the lack of chance taking from those who were given the chances other than Taram as we've mentioned that would be the only downside but I guess if you'd have asked Didier Deschamps um, which game he'd like to throw quote unquote I'm not saying he gave that game well yeah. obviously but if you were to ask him which one and, and I think it, I think yeah. even if you'd have said to me if you'd have got that performance out in Portugal as a result of the fact that you know they got a rocket up them from from the performance against Finland, I'd have taken that because I thought they were really good against Portugal. Um, Griezmann in particular looked good despite his troubles at Barca, and and that then bled into what I thought was, again, I, I must admit I haven't seen the actual pictures yet, but based upon the stats and the uh, the, the read-ups I've seen, it sounded like a, a determined and more gritty performance when they went uh, down early to Sweden. Yeah, I think um, as well when we looked at the, the Portugal game, which obviously the Finland game, it's a friendly. So while it looked fairly hopeless, it was you know, not the game that we needed to be focused on. The Because Mbappe wasn't available for the Portugal game, it seemed kind of interesting they started with Martial and Coma out front instead of uh, Giroud. And I kind of assumed that was because they wanted a bit more speed against Jose France, uh, Jose France who's 36, I think, in the, the back line, that maybe having um, faster people running towards the, the centre-backs would be maybe more useful in that situation than having um, Giroud, who, bless him, at his um, youngest was never that uh, quick. So I thought that was... As Jess said, while 1-0 doesn't sound terribly exciting, that was a really good performance. And it was lovely that Kante actually got the goal mm -hmm. after 
a series of people could have done um, because that was a, a really nice they played a kind of midfield diamond but it's all a bit rhomboid um, when they do that but that looked like a, a very good uh, midfield section um, particularly Rabio I think uh, seems to have kind of played himself back into mm. into big contention there so that's that's also really good to see that you know we've got those options and yeah the Sweden game was just great fun I think the fact that you know you've already qualified for the final four uh, meant that there was a degree of uh, kind of um, hand break off yeah, situation and that was great I mean my one issue which I think Jez may um, back me up on is why did Sissoko play the full 90 minutes against Sweden you know can we not come up with something else but you know it all worked so fair enough yeah, I'm always um, I'm always careful what I say about Sissoko because uh, immediately people will point to who I support well, and say, well, that's obvious why you don't like him. But well, I, no, I do he, like him. He, but... is, he is Deschamps' spirit animal, basically. Yeah, I, I just I, I feel for we him. Just have to accept this at this point. So. Yeah, I, I sort of feel for him much in the same way that I feel for Paul Pogba. Like I kind of put my my uh, loyalties aside a little bit and go, well, actually, you know, he's performed far better. Um, overall for the national team than he has at club level but it's just at the moment it doesn't sort of seem to fit and I feel like there's a better or there are better options than him in those positions um, and, and probably coming up for the U21s which we might touch on in a bit but we um, we should uh, um, for yesterday's match at all. I mean Conte was suspended and Tolisso was injured so they were relatively limited in terms of midfield yeah. And you know, even if Nzonzi had started, that's not exactly a, a positive move either. So no, no. I, I don't mind so much yesterday just as a stopgap. And that's the thing with Sissoko. He can sort of play in a variety of positions and that's why he's relatively useful as a squad player. But yeah, against, I mean, against Finland, again, because it was, and it's... Finland. You know, yeah, I mean, no offence to them because it's not about the opposition, but it was a completely meaningless match. Why not just say, sod it, let's have some fun? Like, why start with two defenders? Let's stick an 18-year-old in there. Let's do something. You know, I'm, I mean, I know the 18-year-olds were busy, but you know what I mean. Kamavinga, for example, if he was... Is he, is he injured? Or yeah, he's injured. He is injured. Okay, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I guess if he wasn't, or maybe who's the um who you know, if you ask Rudy Garcia, is yeah, the next the greatest left winger. It, it was a. This was a tricky international break because the under twenty ones were also trying to qualify for something, and so needed needed those players over there. So, I yeah. do understand that. But I think uh, looking at the Sweden game, um, particularly the. They went down after four minutes to Clayson and then Giroud got his first. And then Pavar, does he only do weirdly hit volleys? I was going to ask you what the goal was like, yeah. Because yeah, I saw second, his name and his immediately. Second, his second, the second goal for France was Pavar hitting another oddly hit volley, but it was lovely. And then you have a diving header from Olive after Mbappe did come on. Uh, later on for Turam uh, from his cross, which was, I think Mbappe had been on the field about 40 seconds when he put the cross in, and it, that was really nice. 
but then Sweden did manage to keep things interesting at the end with Quaison. There was a lovely team move from them, but he was falling over backwards when he uh, hit the goal, which I always think is, you know, something we should admire. Uh, but then the final, the fourth goal, um, Koma, because the goalkeeper had come up, I think, for a, a free kick and they messed it up and France broke and, yeah, Coman managed to um, hit a lovely kind of uh, dink over where the goalkeeper would have been had he not been behind him. Um, so, yeah, it was all, it was a good fun match to watch and uh, also much more obviously reassuring than the Finland game but yeah. kind of showed the difference that France can do like against Portugal they had to be quite conservative they had to be very clever and against Sweden it was a bit more you know throw your arms up in the air glitter everywhere kind of situation which um, is obviously very fun to watch yeah that first goal is is a mess as well isn't it I'm just I'm just sort of looking at it now um that the the Sweden opener is Slightly. just a bit <laughs> just pinball really, um, but yeah, it, it's as you say, it's kind of one of those dig in and what, grind out. One thing, one thing I saw when uh, I think it was when Anzonzi came on, I don't know he was standing next to when he took the ball off someone to do a throw in, but it's like he's really tall. He's like six he's five, like isn't a he? Foot taller than the person he was taking the ball off. Yeah, um, and that obviously it just. That just made me chuckle, but his kind of renaissance in the team, I think, has also been something that's really, really useful. Yeah. Um, so, you know, long may it continue. Yeah, it's been good for Ren, in fairness. Um, Jez won't agree, of course, but uh, <laughs> he has been pretty decent. Um, Jez, do you want to have a, a sort of a, a mention of, of Olivier Giroud? Because once again, you know, he, he comes up. Trumps uh, when his country needs him. He's still not getting played. That's the kind of thing I found interesting, actually. Um, he, he's still not getting games for Chelsea, certainly not on a regular basis. But Deschamps initially sort of said that that could be a problem. And then in the press conferences while they were away, uh, he and, and Olivier both sort of hinted that maybe a move maybe on the cards in January, particularly if the Euros does indeed go ahead next summer. But he's, he's closing in on, on Thierry Henry's record. And uh, yeah, another two goals for him in, in a game where he may not have been the player you would have looked to um, necessarily. But he always comes up trumps, doesn't he? So a word for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll speak about him, but then also about sort of the other players that are kind of on sort of a little bit lesser form club-wise. I think for Giroud, I mean, we've had the same conversation so many times before and we all know what he's good. Well, we don't all know what he's good at. Some people seem to turn, you know, have a blind spot about it but right, yeah. um, it's not just about the goals it's about the hold-up play you know there was I know I've been obsessed with Giroud's chest for years now but midway through the second half that he was there was a fantastic chest down that Griezmann volleyed just over um, but yeah it's the hold-up play it's I think he he had four shots on target yesterday which I think I read as like the, the most since Opta have been doing the most for a France player since Opta have been doing their stats in one match or something like that. Um, the it's the defensive work as well, both um, as the sort of first line of defence or of sort of pressing when they lose the ball, but also his importance when um, 
in defending set pieces. It's his movement, or even if it's not movement, it's his presence, which kind of distracts one, if not two defenders, which leaves space for others. And that's why, as we've said so many times, despite him not scoring goals in, in the World Cup, he was still so crucial. And that's without you know, mentioning the fact that he set up the winner in the first match. He had the winner in the second match nicked off him by Mbappe. He set up the winner in the second round, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, people, I think if people are really slagging off his World Cup, it's purely being done in bad faith. And he's just always going to be the sort of um, underappreciated guy, whether it's because of Benzema or other factors. And it's happening again at Chelsea. I mean, he was effectively fucked over by Lampard for a lot of last season. Um, he kept his mouth shut. He worked hard. He was given his chance the second half of the season and certainly after lockdown. He basically pulled Chelsea into Europe and his reward for that is being fucked over by Lampard all over again. I mean, if, I don't understand. Yeah, fine, they've got Ziyech and Werner and Havertz, but then, you know, say to Giroud, thanks for everything you've done. Let um, go. Yeah. Yeah. Why say, you know, we're relying on you, we're extending your contract, and by the way, you're paid off. Be a minute pay. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Because of all that, I mean, Deschamps is reasonable to say, look, if you're, you know, barely playing any football, then it's going to make me hard to make it hard for me to pick you. And I think a mixture of just that fact and also the fact that he was a bit disappointing. I think it was not so much the lack of chances or whatever. I think he looked a bit leggy and didn't... Um, didn't actually carry out as much defensive work as he usually does against Finland. I think they were factors as well in him not playing against Portugal. Um, and as usual, just as everyone's writing him off, he comes back and, and scores a double, could or maybe should have scored at least one other and was excellent again yesterday. And you know, there's some really interesting stat stuff on, on Lekip today. I think it's the fifth time, the fifth calendar year that he's finished France's top scorer, which I think equals a record with Platini and I think Paul Nicola from, from obviously Yonks ago. Um, his record since turning 30 is fantastic. He's only seven off Henri's record, top scorer now at the start of France. Um, you've got to hand it to him. And, and um, you could even say, you know, with all players complaining about how knackered they are, how many games they're having to fit in, how it didn't really feel like a summer break. So it's almost like two seasons rolled into one. Maybe barely playing for a lot of this season could end up working in his favour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's, yeah, keeps him fresh almost, doesn't it? And, uh... Exactly, and especially as a, as a, as a 34-year-old, it's not such a bad thing. No, um, no. I, I mean, I, I do understand that for example, against Portugal, you know, having a front three of um, whatever it is in that one, Martial, Coman and Griezmann, for example, offers you maybe more more skill and more speed and, and um, get, certainly gives defenders a diff, different kind of thing to talk about, but or think about. But as we, as we saw like in the first match of the World Cup, it doesn't... It, may take away other things. If you've got yeah. an Mbappe and a Dembele, for example, who are completely uninterested in, in helping to defend or whatever, then it poses more, more problems than it solves, maybe. Mm. So, you know, I, I'd say 
you know, it, it's definitely more speed, but I'd argue that it's less skill. Mm. I think Giroud just has a different skill set as Jez keeps talking about his chest. So <laughs> I feel comfortable doing that too. Um, that it is more uh, the pace issue, mm. I think, is more of a difference there than skill or technique. Technique. Yeah. Are we like, obsessed that, with that? That diving header for his second goal yesterday, that was, that was uh, you know, maybe not something you'd expect from him, but there he is. Are we, are we a bit obsessed with pace? Like, is that the thing? Because I, I wanted to mention Anthony Martial, because I had a, uh, if you can have a heated WhatsApp debate, I had one yesterday with, with one of my friends who, who's, uh, he's a Man United fan, so, you know, obviously brain cells are not the strong point, but... Um, I'm joking, of course, but um, you know he was trying to tell me that, that Martial is is statistically um, and clearly a far better player than Giroud. And my argument was, well, he's faster, and that was it. Because I, I don't think he is. I don't think he's technically better. I don't think I don't think he he performs in in the big games. I don't feel like he's been consistently good for a number of years now. Some of that might be the club he's at. I feel like he's a player who probably needs to move on. He's certainly never seen the Monaco version other than a couple of games against Liverpool. But I wonder, I mean, Griezmann isn't the quickest. Um, you know, Giroud clearly isn't. Ben Yedder is is nippy, but I wouldn't class him as pacey. Are we just a bit obsessed with this idea of that every young centre-forward should be killing Mbappe's pace? I don't, I don't think it's it's not... It's not even centre forward; it's wingers. Mm. Like and that, that a, I can sort of a, see the argument for. You know, I can see the argument. Which is fine, mm. but yes, I do think that it's something that is. It's not that pace is overrated. It's that the skills other than pace are underrated. If that makes sense, because obviously mm. it's really useful to have somebody who can screen past defenders, mm. but knowing that you've got another alternative, which may not lead to a fast game, but mm. will lead to a clever game, a plan is B. something that's um, that's very interesting. And you see someone like, obviously, uh, Aubameyang, mm. obviously, uh, for Arsenal. But, you know, I mean, he was rapid mm. a couple of years ago, and he is still. But, he is not just about pace, mm. and that is how players mature. Um, if all you have is pace and then you lose it, you have a problem. Yeah, um, you've got some players who have been put on the wings who move somewhere else and end up in central midfield, and they're brilliant. And it's like, what could we have had if we had that pace in midfield instead of, oh, you're fast, play on the wing. Yeah. And it works. Remember who was being talked about on this? Avona, Didier Avona, um, uh, last week with because the can um, uh, can qualifying is on at the moment. It's the same thing. He was stuck out on the wing because he was fast. He's now running as a number number ten or a seven, and brilliant. Mm -hmm. So I think this is something where. We always want to see, you know, the fun stuff. And so there is a degree of who can do the fun stuff, we'll look at them, as opposed to the more meticulous, slower, measured players. Um, but yes, a measured player is, is a match-winning player. 
Andrea Pirlo was never fast. No, yeah, he won the Ballon d'Or, you know, not two, three years ago. He was the best player in the World Cup, and he's never been quick. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I, it's just an interesting one. I'm not saying, I mean, to be, to be fair to Marcio, I don't think it is just about pace. I mean, statistically, I don't know about United, but certainly for France, he's simply nowhere near as good as Giroud. No. Um, you know, 20, he's got one goal in 24 matches. Yeah, Kante's got more, hasn't he? I think hasn't, I read scored, hasn't scored in his last... 24, 25 shots. Mm. So statistically, if you're just counting goals, which would be hypocritical of us to do so after everything we've just said about Giroud, <laughs> yeah. um, he's not. But I, I don't think it's about pace. I think it's, it's I was going to say it's guile. It's not, it's not unfair to say that because Giroud's got guile as well. I think they've just got different skill sets. Mm. And, you know, Giroud's going to be better at the sort of physical battle and he can do the flicks and the hold-up play. Martial is more likely to beat a man with the ball at his feet. Um, so it just, I think it just depends what you want. Um, I just, but it's kind of tied with, with pace in a way, but I think there are people who just say, you know, stick three or four of our little skillful players up front and that will make the football more exciting. But it doesn't necessarily because, first of all, it might mean you never have got the ball in the first place. Yeah. Secondly, you might lose it more easily. Again, just keep going back. I know it's just one match, but I feel like that France-Australia match, first match of the World Cup, kind of distilled all the problems of of having the three skillful players and not having a Giroud as the kind of... Um, I've said it before, but sort of like a, a kind of planet for the others to orbit around. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, and I, I think I think the, the the one thing that that I sort of look at Martial and that I'm just not convinced in is is it's a weird thing to say as a striker. It's just his finishing. I just I've never that that chance he had when he raced through against Portugal. I just never felt like he was going to finish it. And, and I know that comes down to confidence, but I feel like, and I've mentioned his name already, but I feel there's a, there's a touch of Walcott there. If he hasn't got time to think, he's Ooh. fine. I'm not, I'm not saying he's, you know, God bless Theo, I love him to bits. Martial's a far better player. But in terms of outright finishing, I feel like if he's got time to think, I'm never convinced. If he hasn't got time to think and he just does something, i.e. that goal he got against Liverpool those years ago, I feel like that's, that's the Martial that I'd want, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. Um, so yeah. Just, and, and to be fair, even with Ben Yedder, I'm never sort of hundred percent sure with him at international level either. So it's not just a Martial thing, but I, I, one thing's for sure. I feel like at the next international tournament, uh, France will need a Giroud and, and whether they'll need him in another two years time. Well, that's a debate for another day, but um, while we've got him, I guess we should cherish him. And, and this has got, January moved back to Montpellier, written all over it. Um, so good luck with that one, Phil. Oh, I mean, part of part of me really wants that to happen, but the other part of me is like, we actually have a really good. You've got Andy Delors working. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Brighton oh, could do it. Yeah. Brighton, yeah, it'd be the new Glenn Murray at Brighton. Um, would be, it, that would be a bit weird. For, for the record, I'd take him back at Arsenal right now, just the record. But I don't think Mikel was <laughs> going to be interested in that one. I've heard, I've heard a few Arsenal fans say that. Yeah, well, I would never have sold him, Jess. Never in a million years would I have well, sold him. The thing, I, think. I, I want yeah. him to go to somewhere in Italy and just enjoy life 
I think Inter was sniffing, weren't they? And Conte yeah. seems to like signing his old players, so maybe that's something. But I, I personally would love to see him back in France. Um, uh, something doesn't feel right about him going to Lyon, but somewhere where he can see out his days, uh, I'd quite like. Maybe, if he maybe ends up needs... at Saint-Étienne, I'm going on the Oh, God. I mean, they, they need something. Um, right, so... Just talk about... You may. Uh, I mean, Giroud, but also Pogba, Varane, Griezmann, they've all been in poor form or struggling for different reasons with their club yeah clubs and it's just i mean as a france fan who doesn't support any of those clubs it's been a joy to see them all kind of getting back to their best and playing together well and and leading france on on one side i could understand the supporters of those clubs being pretty pissed off about it. And, and I just, I find it interesting, like what the reasons are. I know like Pogba talked about how, you know, it's a breath of fresh air being back with France. And you have to think, you know, when you, when you go through something like winning the world cup together, it is presumably really going to feel like kind of family and feel pretty special every time you have a chance to, to get back together. I think Deschamps deserves a huge amount of credit for his man management. And I also wonder if, rightly or wrongly, when you sort of hit the heights of the World Cup, it probably is still difficult to motivate yourself on a sort of week-in, week-out basis, which maybe people would say, well, that's not good enough. You know, these players are paid professionals. They they should be caring week-in, week-out. And, you know, they haven't won everything there is to win on the club level. But I, for me, it was just a joy to see Varane, okay, he should have probably had a penalty given against him yesterday, but back to his sort of unruffled best. And Pogba struggled against Finland, going back to kind of keeping it simple and doing what he does best. And Griezmann, I just, I think, for me, it's one of the most joyous sights in football is just seeing Griezmann everywhere, like one minute, dick, complete, I think, was Sanyol, who said today in Lekip, he's been France's metronome for the last five years. Like every, he keeps everything ticking, but also his work rate. I mean, there was a point at about sort of 70, 75 minutes yesterday where he sprinted back and ended a Sweden attack by doing a diving header back to Loris. It was fantastic. And I know I got stick for saying it and I was kind of teasing a little bit, but for me, part of the problem at Barcelona is that They've got another player up front. I think he's Argentinian, possibly, who can't even be fucked to ever break into a, a trot, let alone a run. So Griezmann is basically running for two people nonstop. It's not surprising that maybe sometimes he lacks a bit of lucidity once he finally gets the ball, if the little Argentinian deigns to pass it to him occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And and also taking Pogba's first match being poor and not so much this time, but the last two or three international breaks, um, Griezmann has kind of not been great in the first match, better in the second. And Giroud and Pogba this time, not great against Finland, better against Portugal and then against Sweden. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it takes a couple of matches to get the sort of club form and and on and off the pitch, sort of lack of confidence or funk or whatever, and the poor play on the pitch, out of the system. And then um, 
you know, Deschamps eking the best out of them by the time he's had them for four or five days. And, and so the second match, we see the best of them. And yeah, as I said, as someone who doesn't support any of those clubs and does support France, long may it continue, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, very well said. I couldn't add any more to that if I tried. So, And, uh, and we all want to see you know the, the players performing at the highest level and I think in in Pogba's case in particular I think even he um not I wouldn't even say tongue-in-cheek I think it's probably quite legit sort of said that it's his escape from poor club form at the moment for the national team so I yeah I think what he said was misinterpreted I think obviously United fans jumped on it yeah so I don't, he wasn't <laughs> criticizing United he was criticizing not criticising himself either. He was just saying, yeah, he's not having a great time of it. And being back with the France setup was a breath of fresh air for him. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, um, can I, yeah. just, uh, I just need to do a correction and clarification on something I said earlier. Um, not Didier Bono. I was thinking of the wrong tweet. It was Jonathan Pitruipa who has been um, retooled as a central midfielder for Paris FC by the wonderful René Girard mm. at the age of 34 and he's just being very, very impressive. So say, there's a name from the past, Petroika. That's yeah. who I was thinking of. Also, yeah. um, the subject of one of the best uh, football footballer-related songs on YouTube. I may put that in the uh, article. You're rude not to. Wonderful. Great Nazi, wouldn't it? Um, that um, those two wins for France does secure their qualification from uh, what is it? Group scans, a. group three, group three. Apparently, I'm so I'm so oh, reliably level, informed. Level, level A. Oh, level. Sorry, level League A, level group a, three. Group three, and Spain are through after that. Fairly, I got the impression that all of the people watching the France game yesterday were slowly kind of dropping away to go and watch what Spain were doing to Germany in yeah it was a destruction from from what I saw my lord so (laughs) France and Spain are through and I think the others it's if Italy don't fuck up and they're playing Bosnia they're through yeah and um in group a2 it's basically Belgium don't lose their yeah. through. So that's that will yeah. be the final four. Um Denmark could get through if they beat Belgium. Yeah, but away from home. So, yeah. Tough. tough Where of course any of these teams would give up their places in the final four just to have a player who did some random flick in the middle of the pitch that came to absolutely nothing. I don't know what you're referring to there, Jess. I, I couldn't possibly comment on such spurious rumours, um, honest. But I happen to agree with you. Uh, yes, um, one thing's for sure. I think eyes will probably be on uh, Belgium, Denmark, or uh, maybe Poland, Netherlands or so. Bosnia really has a bit of a range over there. Yeah, um, how can, can they get through... I don't think they can. I think, I think that's a, a dead rubber. Just depends if if Italy managed to lose to Bosnia, yeah. then that match becomes important. But that seems highly unlikely. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Because if <clears throat> if the Netherlands win, Poland and Italy do drop points, they can still go. But it, it's unlikely. So yeah, so that that group's still a little bit alive. But we know that France are through, which is great news. And we also know that the under twenty ones are also through. Can I just Denver. clarify one thing? Am I right in thinking that? Don't ask us about the rules, Jez. Not the rules, but... 
Euro Euro is next summer. So yes. actually, the the final four of the Nations League is after the Euro. Yeah, it's all it's all us about face. It, yeah. It's it's like completely yeah. Um, I thought I, it was, I was in January. Well. What? Oh no, it's after, isn't it? I believe. So oh, yeah, fuck. I don't know. It, it's it's a mess. France are through. That's that's basically all we know. Um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right, Jens. Yeah, and and you know, I, I remember when that draw was made for the Euros, and it was like, oh, France and Germany, and Christ, if Germany play like they did last night, France will will easily come through that group. So I wouldn't worry too much at this stage. You made, um, made them angry. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't want to jinx it, but. Speaking of jinxes, there, as I said, there were none for the end of 21s, which is great news. They they won the two games that they required to win, a fairly comfortable 5-0 win in Liechtenstein. Uh, Dag Brown was the scorers there, as won Jeffrey Adelaide as well. And uh, they won the big one, 3-1 against Switzerland, uh, which was the, the kind of the shootout. Uh, it's an Ottawa with two. Dagba himself sent off in that game before Mouani of Nantes got the third after Imeri had uh, made it slightly nervous at 2-1 with the 88th minute goal. And the under-21s are through. I was um, enjoying Matteo Ganduzzi's uh, charging up the pitch and on his Instagram post. That was a particular highlight of me. Uh, but yeah, he seems to be doing all right in, in Germany. And he certainly are you a fan of his? Out of interest, just because like, you're talking about Giroud. As an Arsenal fan, how do you feel about Gondizzi? I, I I miss him, yeah. I mean, don't forget where he came from as well. So, um, Francis Graham's uh, club. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm really torn on him because I see him put in performances like he did in that game. And I just think, and as a captain, no less as well. So there's obviously some faith putting him Again, the fact that the former Lorient boss is managing the under-21s might have a little to do with it. But, um, yeah, I, I just I just think he's... I think he's just one of those talents that if you manage him correctly, then you're fine. Um, and, and if he listens. But I, my, my slight concern is that uh, he was given a lot of opportunities un, under Unai Emery and, and came on as a player. And then the minute that sort of he did one thing wrong, and let's be honest, where he did at Brighton was was pretty shitty. But um, I, my slight concern is that Arteta is more happy to hang on to players that I think have got far less potential than he was to, to give him an opportunity. That's my only slight concern. But yeah, who knows what goes on behind closed doors? And we know that that uh, Matteo has a little bit of a temper and a bit of an attitude in terms of how he left, uh, or certainly how he left PSG and 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 how he had the fallouts at Lorient in particular. So, yeah, who who knows? But I, I genuinely think there's a player in there, and whether it's at Arsenal, probably not. I guess based upon this, but he's on loan at Hertha Berlin. So, if nothing else, we'll get a sell-on fee. But no, I'm a big fan. I, th- I think I, ne- I think you need characters like that. Um, Pogba is the other example in, in the, the full team, I guess. Maybe not for the same disciplinary issues, but with the the whole circus that travels with him. So, I guess Actually, we'll see. On that point, we probably didn't give enough credit. Phil mentioned him, but Rabiot was arguably the yeah. real star of, of yeah. Actually, all the autumn internationals, but he yeah. was excellent against Portugal and again last night, and has probably played him his way into the starting lineup in that sort. Yeah. As he has done at Juventus as well. I mean, he's played his way into into that team when he was basically out in the cold. So yeah, I mean, fair play to him. And I think I think we've all said all along that, that the, the issue with Adrian Rabio is never Adrian Rabio. It's more what follows him around off the pitch. Yeah, possibly being a little further away from Mommy Dearest might be. Yes, yeah, might help so. a touch. Yeah, naturally he you know he's a grown adult. I'm sure he can make his own decisions, but it does strike he's me. He's still that, uh, very young, and I think that's. 
I yeah. think, you know, we it's... forget that, don't we? He's 25, is he? 25, no. 26. But, um, but yeah, nevertheless, as, as you rightly said, just full credit to him. He, he certainly was a, a top performer in these games. Um, you've both got a little bit to say about the women's situation. I, I'll, I'll just leave that one on the table. Um, just, do you want to explain what's going on? And then, Phil, you have a, a bit of a say as well? Um. It's kind of come to a head this week because... Um, basically it's been rumbling for a while that there's clearly been tensions between Corinne Diac and the France playing squad, mainly the, the Lyon players, although possibly sort of going wider than that. Um, going back to the world cup, although there's no shame to losing against America in the quarterfinal, and it was a pretty shitty draw that, 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 ended up being the quarterfinal. France didn't really impress that much. And um, I think even at that time, there were sort of rumours that it wasn't the happiest camp necessarily. Um, actually, even before then, the first issue was that one of the first things Diak did when she came in was take the captaincy away from uh, Wendy Renard. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, the goalkeeper, for example, Sarah Bouadi, has said she's not going to play for France while Diak has coach. And then it all came to a head in the, I think, the last international break when Amandine Henri, who is now the France captain, and I can't really get a handle for whether it's that she was coming back from injury or her form isn't great, but whatever it was, she was not included in the last squad, even though she was fit to play. Um which caused a lot more tension, but without anything massively coming out into the open. And then this last Sunday, Henri gave an interview to Canal Football Club, basically putting it all out there, saying, uh, yeah, the players are, um, they don't like playing for Diak. Um, lots of them, including her, have, have cried in their hotel rooms, um, going back to the World Cup even. Um, that the call that she had where Diak told her that she wasn't going to be in the squad, and this is the, the international captain, remember, was a 14 or 15 second call. Um, so clearly lots of issues there. Um, and you have to wonder if they're reconcilable. I mean, they're, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, Le Cret, the, the uh, head of the FFF, has probably not not these not help matters but after the world cup he i think extended her contract or confirmed diak in her position without sort of carrying out any kind of review or speaking to any of the players about how how they felt about her um some people will say well this is just a, a sort of strong Lyon faction and they're used to having everything their own way and they're a bunch of prima donnas and um you know that they should get in line and and you know follow their coach. Um, for me, I think maybe a lot turns on whether any non-Lyon players speak up because then we'll, we'll have a better idea, like kind of who maybe who, who's right and who's wrong. I mean, even from Ongi's point of view, you could she's right in saying, you know, if I as the captain don't speak up, who else will? But then you could also say, well, why, maybe she should have spoken up when she was being picked. It's easy to kind of speak up once she's been dropped because she's got nothing to lose or she's you know, overly annoyed and it's become more personal thing. So that there's, I think, as a few people have been saying, I think um, 
I'm not sure what it's got to do with him, but Nicolas Montpellier basically told everyone to shut up and get to work. Um, there's other people like Busaglio who kind of said there's fault on both sides, which is probably true. But wherever the fault is, and, and certainly I don't think Diat comes across as a particularly easy, easy person to deal with, but then maybe I think possibly you could say that about the Lyon players together as a faction, and they've certainly gone through a few Lyon coaches and, and may or may not be, you know, for example, Petros, who despite winning the, the Champions League was got rid of. I think a few people say it's the player power who got rid of him. So, you know, there's a lot of sort of <laughs> she said, she said, but it does seem an untenable position for someone or some people. And, and I mean, it's kind of come to a head, but you feel like it could get worse before it gets better, especially if Lecrae is going to sort of sit back and wait for events to, to unfold rather than do something about it in advance. Yeah, do you, do you sort of share most of that in terms of your yeah. thought process? Huh? I think so. I, I saw there was a octopus stat out the other day, which was that Diaka's uh, win percentage is bigger than... Um, all of the, the last five or whatever, 70-odd percent, 77%, I think. But as we have covered over those, the last 10 years, Beanie, Bergeru, and Ishwafni had massive technical limitations, strategic limitations. Now, what we're and seeing... Beanie, I think, got to three consecutive major semi-finals as well. Mm. But then fucked them all up very badly um, in in many cases. He wasn't someone who could, I think he was functioning in a period where women's football was not as sophisticated and therefore having very good strikers was sufficient. And when it came down to the fact that, oh, you actually need to play a whole game, a whole team game here, started to struggle. And Bergeru looked good at the start on that but was again not managing that and Echerafni was just a nightmare so I think Diacre is more savvy in terms of the on the pitch stuff but clearly her woman management is not fabulous and you've got like Sarah Hardy saying something about um that she really doubts that France can can win the Euros in 2022 or whenever the hell it is going to be. If she stays in position, you've got Amandine Henry um, uh, talking about uh, negative uh, negative sentiments in the dressing room. But as Jess says, I think one of the problems in actually assessing this is with the primacy of OL in the French national team. Now, OL are possibly the best women's club team in the world, and so it makes sense they make up the majority of the national team. But are we going to hear from the PSG players? And then you get to, it's a Montpellier player, it's a Bordeaux player, it's a Marseille player. You don't have, they've got a block, as Jez said, which may be exacerbating this situation. But it does seem very, very unfortunate that this is 
you know, not working out. Corinne Diacre has over 100, 100 caps as a player for France. Mm. And a decent number of goals, given that she was a centre-back. This should be the kind of manager that when we in women's football say, why are men in charge? Should Aren't there women available? She's the kind of woman we're talking about. And it is not going well, clearly. So no. that is something that is, I think, very disappointing, particularly for the France fans who over the past, you know, 10 years or so have been going, why can't they take that final step? Yeah, and that's the bigger issue, isn't it? That, that's, that's, the, that's the overriding bigger issue of it. And Then, as they always say, don't fire your manager without having a replacement lined up. Who would mm. that be? Yeah. Who yeah. would that be? Do we go back to having, uh, you know, a middle-aged man <laughs> who who might do go back to doing the same things that Bergeron and Eshwafne did, or or what? What do you do? I don't. Um, I mean, if... it is it is a very tricky situation. I think, particularly because in France, women's football, particularly at Lyon with all us and support has been a, a very different experience than in many other clubs. How do you convert that into the, the national team? Mm. Josh, you had a, you wanted to say something as well? No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, if you're going to go for a middle-aged man, there's nothing wrong with that in principle, but go go for one who's got a pedigree as a manager. Mm. Um, not just a name. As yeah. opposed to well, not, not a, even a, a name. couple of League 2 matches. Yeah. Mm. It's got to be somebody good. Yeah. 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 I mean, don't go for Berger or Eshuafni just because they're there and available or something like that. If they're not, if they don't have the quality to be an international manager, don't appoint them as an international manager. Sort of the um, Phil Neville thing, almost the argument that, that, that the English national team had with him. It's like, why, why are we really employing a guy who hasn't got any... Oh, I still, I want to set fire to that entire situation. <laughs> well, I, he didn't do too badly, I guess. He didn't do but too badly, I think, I agree, more his attitude, wasn't it? On the appointment, it didn't seem right at all. It didn't sit right. Um, I mean, the, I guess what you can say about Lyon and in terms of taking the next step, they are serial winners and they do know how to how to win things. So <laughs> they time, yeah. should be listened to in some ways, but at the same time, the coach is the boss. And yeah, so yeah, that's how it should and be. Obviously, Diak has got. But then it comes down to: is it the players? Obviously, they are all very good, but they're an expensively assembled group of very good players. Is the fact that they win a lot down to their specific knowledge or the coaching at the club level or whatever? It's that's the thing. But if it is a coach, situation. then then Diak isn't doing a good enough job, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like like same with as you said with Binny. I don't think Binny was a good enough coach, but the, exactly he, that's, that's he can't. Be... But at the same time. It's not his fault if Tine misses an absolute sitter from six yards out or Elodie Thomas, who really is a Theo Walcott, you know, speeds her way into hey. fantastic positions but can't hit a barn door. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess what we're saying is there's always more to it than 
than the simple answer, I guess, is, is, is yeah. the best way I can put that. Going back it's to frustrating what, what, because I think this is the better France squad. Mm. And the appointment of Diak, I think, was fantastic. And it looked like it was possibly the two parts coming together um, for success. And it hasn't worked out that way. Mm. I think yeah. I'm just going to say that, like what Jez said, the fact that if Opta says Diakra's win percentage is 77 and that's higher than anybody else's, I don't necessarily look at those bare numbers. I think it, you can't say, oh, she's she was better than the last guys so therefore you can't criticize her i still think as just as that percentage should be higher you're just comparing it with people who really really underperformed so i think particularly if we're going into the euros whenever the hell they happen um that france should be further up and yes in the world cup hitting um uh, the USA at the stage they did was, you know, the luck or the bad luck of the draw. But France should be higher up. And until they get there and start uh, competing and start reaching finals, getting trophies at the international level, there's always going to be room to criticise because they do have, as we have seen, some of the best players in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a it's definitely a situation that I suggest will will crop up again at some point. Um, so we will sort of do our best to to cover it when it does, and, and obviously with any situation changes and, and whatnot, we try and keep across them as best we can. So that's uh, interesting insight there. From uh, you know, I freely admit, not a subject I'm particularly well educated on. So um, yeah, thank you both for for delving a little deeper there. Um, we'll draw a line under the international uh, break news um, just by simply saying poor old Edinson Cavani was sent off playing for Uruguay against uh, oh. Brazil. So sad news in ex Liga players news there. But um, we will just finish the pod with a look ahead to what we've got to look forward to in terms of uh, the Liga schedule returning this coming weekend. We were scheduled to have a match on Friday, um, sorry, on Saturday between Marseille and Nice which is now not going ahead. So that's one that will not be played this weekend. Uh, More trouble with COVID-related issues in Nice. So that one's not happening. But we have got Rennes against Bordeaux, which is Friday, the 20th of November. I'm recording on the 18th. We've also got Monaco PSG that particular night. So that may well be worth tuning in for. I imagine Monaco will go for it in that particular game, particularly with PSG. Looking at all of these, we don't seem to have many games that are between clubs close together so no it's all bottom against top probably it's probably the closest which is mm. actually sixth versus first in terms of likely to be interesting yeah i mean ren bordeaux is interesting to the extent that you think ren would want to get back into winning ways and bordeaux can't bordeaux buy a win so I, bad, <laughs> I, I, I can't see that being a 4-4 thriller let's say that much um breasts and etienne money on a 4-4 thriller yeah, yeah, exactly. Brest against St Etienne on Saturday afternoon uh, may be worth a little look. I mean, um, I'm sort of looking at the table now as um, Brest oh, actually are actually only two places apart. I apart, know, yeah, twelve, 12 points and ten on points. A, a six-game losing streak, 
Yeah, so. that was that was what sort of raised, rose my eyebrows, thinking St. Etienne really need to get something out of that potentially. Uh, we've got a full Sunday schedule as well this week, um, sensibly, I might add. We've got Nantes against Mets. Uh, presume the the good run for high flying Mets continues. I wonder, Jess, uh, unbeaten in what's it six games now? So um, seven. seven. Sorry, sorry, I get it wrong. Um, but yes, Mets currently sitting in 10th, uh, Nantes in 14th. Nantes' form has been patchy, so that, that one may be, may be a, a good place to go in terms of away, away grounds at the moment. We've got Dijon against Laws, which is the one of the two o'clock games, as is Montpellier-Strasbourg and uh, Reims against Nîmes. So that's the two o'clock games. In the afternoon slash evening game, we've got Angers against Lyon and the world's greatest team in French football, Lorient, maybe not, against Lille. They're away from home. Um, I think it'd be fair to say I'm not expecting too much from that game, if I'm completely honest. But uh, Lille will, uh, I guess it depends what happens in the, in the PSG-Monaco game, but if Monaco were to spring a slight surprise and win that game, then Lille could cut the, uh, the, the gap at the top to just two points. So... Um, I guess all eyes on that particular fixture. Quite a lot of this weekend's games are predicated on the fact that it's the Champions League and Europa League comeback yes. next week. Hence, all of the um, top clubs are being bumped forward in the uh, in the weekend. But back against Lorient, some glory of a Saturday night, of uh, Sunday night game. Which yeah, it's nice. Yeah, absolutely, and and good to see the obviously good to see the games coming back, and, and of course we're recording this on the Wednesday. A lot can happen when all their players return from international duty over the course of today and tomorrow. So just just stay tuned, um, and uh, you know you just you just don't know which games will go ahead and at what levels at the moment. The the uh, lockdown in France um, is that in place until the end of November. Um, early December, but everybody assumes it's just going to continue after that. We're on a 15-day yeah. rolling review, so... Okay, so yeah, possibly over the Christmas period as well. I guess we'll um, we'll guess we'll see what happens. So we'll we'll keep you in touch well, with that. The thing is, we know. given that they have the Trev over here, it wouldn't make sense to bring people back for games for one game before Christmas. I'd say no fans before the new year at least mm. because Especially. you you have the, the two-week winter break anyway. Yeah, I was just going to say, you've raised an interesting point there because I wonder with this truncated season, um, will they, I presume at the moment, I guess the winter break is still in place. I wonder if that might be looked at in December and whether they're going to say, well, do we actually try moving it? that and there'll be a strike at some point. Yeah, yeah. Same in Germany. I think they've got the same uh, same in place, and, and Italy shuts down as well. So it'd be interesting to see if those winter breaks do go ahead. Um, any of those fixtures jump off the page at you, Jess? Anything that you're particularly keen to keep across, other than Mets, obviously? Uh, not massively, to be honest. I I, I do like. I think um, Brest Saint Etienne could be entertaining, but possibly not if you're a Saint Etienne fan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would, I would hasten to agree with that one. Um, on and I Jen, think Ras Nîmes can be, could be good. I think. Yeah, that's an underrated one, isn't it? That's a sort of a cheeky one at, uh, on the two o'clock games. That's probably the one I'll have a look at. Um, I kind of like the look of Angers and uh, Angers Lyon, just because Angers, you never really quite know what you're going to get, and uh, and I'm sort of intrigued Same to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. 
but I'm sort of intrigued to see if if Leon can continue this run of 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 good form without being amazingly great. If you know what I mean, I think I think people know where I'm going with that. But yeah, that that one might be. Um, it would have been the Rain Adelaide Derby, of course, but no longer. Less said about that, the better. But yeah, might might have a little look at that one. But it'd be nice to have the games back. Um, just before we do wrap up, uh, a little casual nod to League 2, as we like to do every once in a while, because it does happen and it, it is it is, is ongoing. And uh, the wonderful news that Parry FC are flying in uh, in League 2. They are currently seven points clear at the top of the table, having won eight of their first ten games. Only one loss in that mixture as well. So they're flying ahead in terms of the top spot. Imagine a Paris derby. That'd be fun next year, wouldn't it? We've got uh, Trois who uh, hardcore Ligue uh, Ligue 1 fans will remember were in the top division not so long ago. So they're currently in second on 18 points. Uh, Just one point clear of Nior and Khan in third and fourth. Uh, Khan, obviously, another team that's been up in the top flight fairly recently. Uh, Clermont Auxerre are slowly rebuilding by the looks of things. They're up in sixth, Auxerre, so it'd be nice to see them uh, back up towards the top of the league for the rest of the season. Love, Grenoble, Foot, uh, Toulouse and Sochaux make up the top ten. Down at the bottom, uh, Chambly are a shambles. Um, sorry, I wrote that myself. They are 20th, uh, only six points all season. Um, just the one win all season, so they're not having a great time. Chateroux, Rodet and uh, pa- I believe, is it pronounced Pal? I can never get this right. Pal or Pal? Pal. Pal. Anyway, they're not having a great season either, but they are keeping their head above water just about in 17th. Ajaxio, uh, uh, Omian, I'm quite surprised to see them down in 15th. And uh, just above them, Nancy in 14th. He could even rope Gangomp in 13th into that little cluster of former League R teams. But yeah, well, I think struggling. it's the fact you, you go down, you get picked off, and you end up with a youth team. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and Toulouse, probably a good example of a team that, that haven't torn up trees as well. When you look at those, I mean, there's quite, there's quite a few what I would class as, you know, when you look at a team and you go, oh, yeah, they're in the top flight. There's quite a few of those that you could, you could name. Yeah, that's that's the oh, word. Yeah. Sosho is another one, you know, you just sort of teams that you expect to be higher up but aren't. So um so there you go. That's that's the league de table and um we will keep across that Can as the season just Quickly just as you mentioned Sosho, mm. can we just have a shout out for Brian Sumare who Yes sent a tweet the other day basically saying, you know, I've been really touched by you know the problems people are having and, and effect- basically DM me if you're struggling and I'll buy story. you food. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the Twitterless world I live in, I had to find this on, I think it was Reddit I came across oh. this story. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice, isn't it? Because you just, you just don't really see that, do you? Um, in, in the modern, saturated world of, of, of football and, and money and whatnot. So I thought that was quite nice. Um, I'd be intrigued to see how many people actually did reach out um, for that and how many people just flooded his inbox with with uh you know shirt demands and as well but yeah i i thought that was quite a nice um quite a nice story as well and, and something we could all kind of learn from i would suggest so uh yeah that seems like a, as good a place as any to end on a, on a happy story so um as we said at the start of this pod we will be back on the monday to review the weekend's action if you do have any questions or uh, queries or points or statements whatever they may be 
that you want to get in touch with us about, please feel free. We'll try and uh, pop those into the discussion on the, on the Monday as well. But for now, uh, it just remains for me to thank both Phil and Jez. Thank you both for your time this evening. Thank you. And as I say, we'll be back on Monday. Enjoy your return of French football and we'll speak to you very soon.